Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Well, good morning, y'all. Hi, Ch- Nate. Hey, it's Chad and Nate. I'm Nate. You're Chad. Last I time am. I checked. Um, His mom will call him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. What are you talking about? It's from a movie. What movie? Uh, Coming to America. Eddie Murphy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you've talked about how part of your morning ritual is to uh, wake up and turn on the morning show and listen to Mike and Mark talk about sports. sports. Every day I do. Did you do it today? I did. Said so I did. I did too. And I and I and I caught them talking about a few things, and I just have to speak about it. Speak on, my friend. So Mark said that seventy percent of the time, a ball is incomplete. It's the receiver's fault. <laughs> <laughs> it shows you who he's been spending his time with. Clearly, not any receivers. And then they brought on a uh, Joel Klatt, man. And Joel Klatt really takes the quarterback porn to a new level. He, it's it's. It's so uh, it's so gratuitous. It's does he believe it? It's funny. Does he believe it? Did you hear the interview today? Yes. It's Did a, you hear him say that when a receiver thinks that he's a better player than the quarterback, then you have problems because he starts out going out there doing his own stuff. A quarterback, everyone on the team has to know that the quarterback is the strongest man, the best player, <laughs> the best leader, the most equipped with a golden gaze to stand before them and lead them. And if, and if he's not that guy, you got no shot. Have you, did you ever look at your quarterback like that? No, but you know, I think it says something about Joel Klatt's mindset in regards to his teammate and, and teammates and what he expected from them and where he held himself in uh, their regard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't respect his own teammates very much. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm just saying, you know, if, 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 if you sarcastically uh, want to throw those jokes out there, right. as we have uh, said a number of times, all jokes come from a place of truth. That's what actually makes them funny. If they're so ridiculous, right. then they're not funny. But when you jokingly say things like that, yeah, this is it gives us an insight into you. So I, I've talked about this before quite a few times, and people have called me quarterback hater and, yep. and, and all that stuff. But I'm going to say it again. When you're talking about the receiver and the quarterback, okay, the quarterback takes a five-step drop and throws the football through the air to a receiver who's running a route and attempting to catch that ball, the receiver has the more difficult job mm-hmm. times five. It never wavers for a quarterback. He takes either a three-step drop, a five-step drop, or a seven-step drop, and he slings the rock. He makes a wish. The quarterback, I'm, I'm sorry, the receiver grants that wish by snagging it out of the air. That's why they call it a Hail Mary, Chad. Right. The receiver's hand is the hand of God that actually answers the prayer that the quarterback makes. The quarterback just, boo, wish, boo, wish. Come on, you got to make, boo, wish, Boo, wish. Now, these guys are very integral to a team. But let's not overinflate it. These receivers are pretty impressive as well. And a lot of the times, it's just a bad throw. I will agree with that. I, you know, I, I heard the conversation this morning, and I thought my partner is some, certainly going to have something to say about that. Um, you know. He said there, uh, Joel said they're like children receivers. <laughs> And you have to set expectations for them, otherwise they'll act out. And and then we have to, we do have texters agreeing. Um, we have a texter coming in right now saying, 
Is he wrong? Receivers think they're the best damn thing to grace the earth. Yeah. There's a, there's a certain confidence that comes from playing receiver, but clearly there's also an equal confidence that comes from playing quarterback, <laughs> quarterback as evidenced by Joe Klatt. So Are the quarterbacks lacking confidence? No. So th- there's clearly a, 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 a battle of uh, egos in, involved in between the two, and I think this conversation in some way illustrates that. Um, you know, I joke about receivers. You joke about quarterbacks. Uh, in the end, you know, is Mark correct 70%? No, it's probably closer to 50-50 in my experience, in my opinion. Um, the quarterback certainly, you know, we've seen what bad quarterback play can do to good receivers. It's very difficult to be a quote-unquote good receiver with bad quarterback play around you. I mean, guys outside of Larry Fitzgerald tell me about all these great guys who survived bad, bad quarterback play. Not very many. So it's not as if the quarterback is immune and only 30% of the equation there. It's at least 50%. Yeah, the quarterback is incredibly important, but he is not the anointed one. No. We, we do need every, every swing in Richard, as they say. True. And the Broncos um, decided which swing in Richards they're going to put on their 53-man roster. And uh, some surprises. Malik Reed was traded yesterday. McTelvin Ajim was cut. Josh Johnson was cut. Um, oh, another, I guess another problem I have on the morning show. Chad, sometimes these shows around us um, talk around us, and they don't give you, in particular, the credit that you might deserve in predicting something that might happen. Um, Mike went into great detail describing how Mark was the only one who predicted that Brett Rippon could be the backup quarterback. <laughs> when I, I posed that question to you several times and you answered that it would likely be Brett. You know, I'm not here to, you know, uh, tout my football experience and background, but I got a football experience and background. And uh, <laughs> respect respect my game, yo. You know what I'm saying? Put some respect on my name. Uh, yeah, I've, a lot, The Malik Reed move, I called that on 9 News Sunday night. That he was going to be traded. So, you know, this – you are free. Everyone's free to have their own opinion. But you got to put some respect where respect is due. And I need, I need some of my name, yo. All right, put some respect on Chad's name. And George Payton actually had a lot to say yesterday. He talked about uh, all these moves. He's, he was an open book about it. And a lot of it was very illuminating. He talked about Malik Reed trade. And here he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Malik. Everyone does. Uh, great kid, really good player. Uh, we just had a log jam. You know, we had a lot of we have a lot of really talented outside backers that can rush. And so, you know, thought it'd be best uh, to trade Malik and trade him to somewhere where he's going to fit in in a really good organization. And um, we wouldn't have just traded him anywhere. Um, he wanted to go to Pittsburgh, and we found you know we found a home for him. And I think it, it's a win win for both sides. What do you make of that? You think you think it's the best thing for Malik Reed and 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 the best thing for both sides? I think in the end, yes. I mean, if the the Broncos are going to try to give these young guys as much run as possible, which they're going to need to get up to speed. Jonathan Cooper's a young guy. Uh, Nick Benio's clearly a young guy. Coach Hackett said he's a rookie and he plays like one, talking about the preseason. Yep. And then um, Baron Brown, he's still making that transition. You know, he certainly has excelled and shown us a lot to be promised about, uh, a lot of things that we would like to see. But at the same time, you haven't seen – all the trickeration that offensive uh, coordinators try to pull off uh, to young edge guys and to confuse them and make them make mistakes. So there's going to be errors and mistakes along the way. But to answer your question, is this the best thing for both sides? For Malik Reed to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers and be in that edge room, yeah, you get to rush the quarterback. You get to be aggressive. You get to set the edge. You get to be the focal point of that defense. So, yeah, what outside linebacker slash edge guy wouldn't want that opportunity? So I think Malik Reed gets a chance to – 
win in essentially his contract year because I think he's only got one more year of uh, under contract of club control. So, yeah, go out there, Pittsburgh, seize this opportunity, and maybe you can get yourself a big payday if you're able to, you know, excel on the other side of T.J. Watt. For the Denver Broncos, you've got these young guys. You can save some money. You get a draft pick back, not a ton of picks, but you get a draft pick back. So there's some value there for a guy who clearly was going to be a smaller and smaller part of the rotation as the season went along. So we've often heard about Malik Reed that he's he's a really, really good backup, but probably not the guy you want starting. But 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 you've also talked about the tradition in Pittsburgh of bringing in edge rushers and, and linebackers who can fit that bill, who can play in a, uh, with a certain style and um, play with that set of expectations. The fact that they traded for Malik Reed, do they see something in, in him that the Broncos maybe didn't? Well, the Steelers have been on a hunt. I mean, remember uh, Melvin Ingram was there for a couple of weeks last year before I think he ended up with the Chiefs to finish the season out. So I think they're on a search for somebody to play opposite T.J. Watt. Um, and, you know, they're clearly going to take chances in the draft and try to shore up that position, but when an opportunity comes to get a veteran-proven player like a Melvin Ingram or like a Malik Reed, yeah, I think Coach Tomlin and um, it's not uh, Kevin Gilbertson anymore. It's uh, I'm Culberson. It's, um, I'm not sure who the GM is out there right now. But at any rate, uh, I think they recognize we've got to at least kick the tires on this guy, and to get a sixth-round pick for a guy who could end up playing a significant role for you, that's a fair trade from the Steeler perspective considering how important that position is for that defense. And the Broncos clearly feel pretty good about Jonathan Cooper and Baron Browning. Yeah. I think the emergence of Jonathan Cooper was the probably the deciding factor. Jonathan Cooper missed you know so much of the offseason with the finger injury, able to come back and be effective uh, a little bit against Buffalo, but really a lot against Minnesota. Uh, made some plays at the edge well. Seemed to have a good feel and understanding. You know, wasn't making a lot of mental mistakes out there. That was probably the the additional piece to the comfort level they needed to make this move for uh, and move on from Malik Reed. Well, Malik Reed wasn't the only difficult decision they had to make uh, yesterday. They they also chose Brett Rippin, which you called before anyone on the station did. Nobody else said it. You said it, Chad. I did. And uh, so Josh Johnson um, waved. They're going to bring him back on practice squad if if they can. We'll get into that and why quarterback is probably the easiest position on the field. That and more next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. You know, it was really tough. Uh, Brett and uh, Josh had a great competition. It came down to the final game. Um, you know, it was, but the body of work, I mean, it was uh, both these guys did a lot of really good things. I just think the way, uh, you know, Rip operated the offense, the way he moved the team, you know, he did some really good things. And so, you know, I'll let Coach Hackett kind of talk about the rest of that. But it was a really close competition. We hope to get Josh back as well. Really good competition came down to the last game. Now, you called it before anybody else did because you – well, not only were you out at every single practice, you called all three games. You got to interview these guys. You got to interview the coaches. Nobody, and I'm talking about nobody, Chad, knew more about this quarterback competition than you. You called it before anyone else did. Anyone else who called it after you piggybacked on your knowledge, your expertise. I think the hip-hop term would be uh, beat biter, dope style taker. Okay. Yes. Well, do you think uh, do you think Mark understands that? No, uh, I don't that think lingo? he knows that phrase, but the truth behind the phrase still remains. Um, so, so the idea that it came down to the last game is, is, is surprising for some people because McTelvin Ajim, if it came down to the last game for him, he should have made the team, right? If it came down to the last game for Jalen Virgil, he shouldn't have made the team because he made an error on special teams. Although I don't 
count that against them as much as a lot of people do. Things happen. You make a mistake. Are you a mistake repeater? Does it become a tendency with you? But if something happens, something happens. Your coaches expect every once in a while something's going to happen. But do you do it again and again and again and create a pattern of boneheaded plays? That's when you can't be kept around. So I don't think one bad play is going to get you cut. But um, in the case of Brett Ribbon and Josh Johnson, it really does seem like it, at least if you believe George Payton's words, it came down to their performance in that last game. I think it did. Uh, I think it did. And I think uh, the last two games overall – that Brett Rippon was the more consistent quarterback. He was cleaner. And from a George Payton perspective, you want to keep both guys. Which guy has the, the better chance of slipping through waivers and coming back for the practice squad? It'd be Josh Johnson. I think Brett Rippon showed enough uh, where other teams would be interested in, in, in him. There's enough possibility there. There's enough upside. There's not enough uh, starts to say, oh, this guy has reached his limit. So uh, what team wouldn't want to kick the tires on this guy who's been described as a coach? In that meeting room, remember he was the the, the quarterback whisperer to Drew Locke. He was the Drew Locke whisperer last which year. Doesn't actually bode well for evaluating him as a, as a potential coach but, based on Drew Locke's <laughs> performance, right? But the, what the, were you whispering to him, Brett? But the thought was, you know, that he helped Drew Locke understand the playbook, and he, you know, got oh, Drew. Oh, maybe Locke's- Brett was trying to sabotage Drew, so he was telling him the wrong thing. <laughs> it's like the go f yourself, San Diego. You just put it there, and Drew will do it. You're like, just throw it, man. <laughs> Um, Drew Locke's issues are more decision-making and uh, footwork-oriented than I think whatever advice or non-advice he got from Brett Rippon in those meeting rooms. But, again, here's a guy who's thought of, thought of that way, who learns, you know, learns all the intricacies and all the details of the system when given, given to him. Uh, in our production meetings, he talked about having a very, very small focus this year and how that was tremendous for him. In the past, he would begin to think too far ahead about – you know, first preseason game, I want to make the roster. And he's like, no, this year I just wanted to figure out a way every day at practice to get better, every day at the meetings to find a way to understand something deeper. And I've always found, uh, maybe not always, but later in my career, I realized that was the correct way to go about things, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what's going on outside the facility, within the facility, if all the guys on the team uh, make that kind of simple, small focus of, all right, I got two hours of practice today. I need to walk off this practice field better at this thing. We got uh, four hours of meeting today. I want to end these meetings today with a deeper understanding on this thing. If I have a small focus and find a way to just chip away at this thing and find a way to get better, the results tend to be pretty good for you and your football team when you do that. And clearly for Brett Rippon, it's got him on the 53-man roster. It also goes to show you that that the way these players are evaluated um, is a mystery to us in a lot of ways, because we don't know what they're being coached. We don't know what they're looking at on film. We don't know what the play is designed to do. We don't know where their reads and their progressions goes. We don't know, like, in practice, for example, Josh Johnson was the favorite among a lot of the muggles to win this job early in camp. He got a hot start. He did. And behind closed doors, in the meeting room, how how are things unfolding? Um, how are they executing the offense? Are they – like you said, working on the things they got to get better at. Are they coach? Are, are they improving in the coaching points that they're not doing well sufficiently to let a coach feel like, okay, this guy can be the guy to go in for Russell if he gets hurt. Um, I want to run one by you that the text line just suggested. This is Russell Wilson's pick. He wanted Brett. <laughs> <laughs> Laughable, Jim. Laughable. Uh, Does, I, is he involved in personnel decisions here? Did did. Did Russell? Did they consult Russell, for example, about receivers that they wanted to keep? I would think the 
conversation with Russell about receivers is far more realistic than Brett Rippon versus Josh Johnson. Uh, I think the reasons that I listed out are, are clear and apparent. Um, well, bless you, Chad. Thank you. I, that was I, a doozy right yeah, there. I, think I, any, have not, I don't think I've ever heard you sneeze. Uh, it tends to be pretty loud and, and a little shocking sometimes. It came <laughs> it's shocking, man. Yes. Uh, I think anybody who watched the three preseason games would walk Woo-hoo! away with, with the thought that Brett Rippon was more consistent. And uh, I think as a football philosophy, I think uh, you'd rather take guys who finish strong over guys who start fast. More games are won or lost, and obviously in those final couple minutes mm. than they are in the first couple minutes of the yeah, ball game. Right. So Brett Rippon's strong finish versus Josh Johnson's fast start. Just the more consistency, to find the way to get better throughout the three weeks of the of the preseason games. All those kind of things, those are the reasons why, not because Russell Wilson had a dog in the fight. And what would Russell Wilson's dog in the fight be? Well, offering his expertise. Obviously, he came here to help build this culture, to help build this offense, to collaborate on how it's going to work. So don't you think personnel decisions might might go through Russell? From a wide receiver tight end perspective, I'm all in on that. I am all in on that. You don't I, think they'll be like, all right, Russell, like which one of these guys is really – digesting it you know which one of these guys do you think is executing the offense the best because you know better than i know me coach hackett you are you know you're you're a you're a special guy russell we brought you here for a reason not just for what you do on the field but what you're uh, to engage your mind in this process i would be shocked and surprised now could there be a difference uh noted by russell wilson between brett rippon and josh johnson there certainly could be he could have noticed that but in those production meetings it it certainly seemed as if both those quarterbacks left no stone unturned. No opportunity was slipped through their fingers. No way to get better. Uh, the standard set by Russell Wilson of work ethic, focus on the game plan, understanding things, walkthroughs, chalk talks, all that kind of stuff, extra work in San Diego. I think both those guys attached themselves to that kind of mindset. And uh, I would I would be surprised if there was something that was meeting room related or – player-driven related as if Josh Johnson's not putting in the right kind of effort in that was behind this decision other than just what was the work done on the field in the preseason games. Either if that's the case, then uh, then Josh Johnson is a tremendous actor because in those production meetings, again, everyone, everyone in the production meetings, as soon as he left the room was like, my God, that kid is awesome. And he's 36 years old. So we, <laughs> that 36-year-old kid is amazing. He's awesome. He, he's got the right mindset. He's doing this all the right way. We left those meetings super impressed with him. What do you think about the idea floated by Zach Bai that and, and he was picking up on a, an interview that Mike Cliss did? Actually, were you? yeah, he was on there with you guys during the game. And, and, and I don't know if he was on. I, I saw Mike Cliss a bunch on, on TV. But one of the things he said was the backup quarterback might not be on the roster right now. He did say that. Any, any true? Because then Zach was connecting the dots. Oh, the, the quarterback with the Lions just let go. Tim Boyle, I think his name is. Uh-huh. He was with Nathaniel Hackett in Green Bay for a couple years. What do you think about that theory that maybe neither of these guys scratched the itch and they're going to bring in somebody else? It's certainly a possibility. It's always tri- tricky to tell who around the league is uh, slotted a you know decimal point or two better than your existing guy on your roster by the, your scouting staff. Um, and these scouts may have a previous relationship. The coaches have a previous relationship, which can make them feel more comfortable. So that's certainly within the realm of possibility. 
Uh, somebody's going to kick the tires on Josh Rosen because he's Josh Rosen because he's a former first-round pick. Still, you think? Oh, he gets another opportunity. He's not going to be on the street very long. Wow. Trust me. Oh. It's just simply how it works in the NFL. First quarterbacks, round, man. Quarterbacks. quarterbacks. First, you, Toughest job in sports. We had you rated as a first-round talent three years ago. I know you've watched that with five teams since then, but I'm the super coach. I can pull it out of you. I got this. And, and and really, that is the ego of coaches, right? Believing yeah. that, like, you know, uh, the other coaching staff couldn't get something yep. out of this guy. We can't. And every Those coaching idiots staff, over there? No way. Us over here? Absolutely. But it ends up being true a lot of times. Uh, well, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, you got you find a guy who washed out somewhere else or who got cut by another team or was overlooked or fell in the draft. You end up getting him and turning him into something special, and you believe that's because of your coaching. Right. And, and it partly is. Right? And so the NFL is so much about coaching, I think, so much more about coaching than College, for example, because the talent pool is pretty equal across the board. I mean, 32 bowls of the same soup. It's the same talent pool that you scoop it from. How are you going to present that soup? How do you coach these guys? Whose coaching staff is best? Typically, to me, that team wins. Texter just texted in after hearing your sneeze, Chad. Was that Chad or Mrs. Doubtfire who just sneezed? (laughs) Well, Mrs. Doubtfire was a Robin Williams. So, yeah, it's the same thing. It's a dude sneezing. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay, you had to clarify that. Yes. Okay, it was a dude playing an old lady, yes. right? Get it That's right, That's what the sneeze was like. Um, so, for the 18th time in 19 years, the Broncos are carrying an undrafted free agent on their 53-man roster. What kind of realistic impact could this guy have on this offense? We'll get into that next. But first, how did the Rockies fare yesterday? Here's Spilly to Spill It. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Yeah, I mean, I think you need speed in this league. And, uh, you know, Virgil obviously provides that. Um, you know, he, this guy, every game he made plays. And he made, you know, made plays every practice. Um, he can cover kicks. He's an interesting guy. He can return kicks. Really good returner in college. Um, he's just answered, you know, every test and, and, and aced it. So, um and he's got legit speed. You know, he can take the top off. So we're excited for him. Answered every test and aced it. That's Jalen Virgil, number 17. Denver Broncos wide receiver who made the squad. And he was way back in the depth chart when he first started out in training camp. I mean, this guy was back there with Caden Davis. Yeah. Uh, just fighting for a rep. And couldn't get those reps. And he, all they were catching were tennis balls and ducking under PVC pipes. But he found a way to make an impression um, because it is. You, you, know, you don't get a lot of chances, but the ones that do come to you, you have to take advantage of. And that just goes to show you how high they are on him, that you make a mistake in the final preseason game. It doesn't matter. They've already fallen in love with you, Jalen. They want you on this team. Um, it seems as if you know Brandon Johnson, if he hadn't had that injury, Jalen could have been the odd man out there. But, um, but he's not. He's going to be involved. Uh, well, he's going to be on the 53-man. The question is, is he going to suit up on game day? How involved is Jalen Virgil, in your in your mind, going to be in this offense or on this team? Uh, in this offense, uh, I think, you know, time will tell. Will, will Gary Kubiak that thing? We're, we're fixing to find out. But uh, the things that George Payton just said gives you comfort that if he's not a part of the regular uh, wide receiver rotation, um, he still can have a role. The, the special teams play, to be able to cover kicks as a fast guy and return kicks, that's awesome. That's a tremendous skill set to have. A lot of times, fast guys can only return kicks. They don't get. It, they don't cover kicks. They don't have the mindset, the physicality, the mentality to be able to do that. So, for a guy who can now do that, that 
broadens his availability possibilities on game day. Instead of just being a, you know, a receiver in case of injury, now you can be a regular special teams guy. And if there are injuries at other spots and they have to elevate other guys, maybe Jalen Verger sits down, you know, four or five, six games a year. But for 10 games this season, when there's the injury situation is good across the roster, he gets a chance to dress, participate in special teams plays, and be that speed receiver who can take the top off the defense, like George Payton just said. So when you look at these six receivers who made the team, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Montreal Washington, uh, Tyree Cleveland, and Jalen Virgil, three of those dudes are special teams guys. Yep. Three of your six wide receivers are special teams guys. What does that say about the priority of special teams on this team and Nathaniel Hackett's willingness to listen to Coach Stukes? Uh, I think they've got a clear uh, directive after the last couple seasons that special teams have to be improved. So you, you don't improve special teams by accident, and you don't improve special teams just by having a coach who yells louder than the last coach. You improve special teams by having guys who are good special teams players. Therefore, your roster moves need to reflect that. And the three and three in this room, three guys who probably aren't going to participate at all in special teams, and three guys who have, if they're active for the game, will have a major role on special teams, I think it indicates just that, that it's not just uh, the coaching piece or the mindset piece or, hey, we're going to put special teams practice in the middle of practice to show everybody how important it is. You still need dudes who can do it and who are willing to do it. So for Tyree Cleveland, didn't take very many snaps at all or any this preseason, but his past special teams prowess earned him a roster spot. Uh, The ability of Montreal Washington, we've seen him flash as a returner and the production meetings with him, he's like, I don't care what they ask me to do. They want me to recover kicks. They want me to cover kicks, kickoffs, whatever they want me to do, I'm willing to do. So I would not be surprised if he occasionally is on some other special teams units. And then for uh, Jalen Virgil, I think he will start off as a special teams guy with a you know possibility of being in that wide receiver rotation. You and think it, he'll be on, covering kicks and whatnot? Like, yeah. 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 I mean, if, if he's active and if he's this, as fast as they say he is, which he appears to be, and Coach Hackett just talked about his willingness to do it, then, yeah, let's go out there and do that. If you're up for the game, if you're dressing, then you need to have a role outside of the backup quarterback who we hope doesn't play. And his role is to hold the clip chart and chart the, the plays and talk about them with the quarterback on the sideline once they come off. Other than that, all 52 other guys, I'm sorry, 46, 44 other guys, 45 other guys who are dressed, they all have to have a game role. Right. And so it will be a challenge for Jalen Virgil to suit up. It will be a challenge for him to be one of those guys, I think. You think? I do because, you know, it's rare that you suit six receivers for a game. I mean, we're, we're, you know, that means you got to take one from somewhere else. And, right. Um, you know, the likelihood that you use, for example, all six receivers in the on offense is very, well, unlikely. Uh, the, the number four receiver for the Broncos last year was Kendall Hinton. He caught 15 passes all season. So your number four receiver is not going to catch a lot of passes. Right. He's not going to have a lot of plays on offense. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, those guys are going to be in every play. Yes, sometimes you need a you need a spell. Yes, you get a little gassed and you need a player or two off. Um, you run a, a deep go route. It's overthrown. You lay out for it. You can't get back to the huddle. You tap your head. A guy comes in and gives you a break, but, but then you're right back in. I would imagine Cortland Sutton, if he's healthy, he's going to take 90% of the snaps. Same with Jerry Judy. So really, your your fourth and fifth, and if if you can carry six on game day, those guys have to be contributing, like you said, 
on special teams. Um, and so can Jalen Virgil do those things? Can he, can he cover kicks? Um, can he be part of the, you know, can he be a gunner on punt return or on punt? On, at 6-1-2-10, and with the speed he has, he certainly has the size-speed ratio down to be able to be a, a gunner. Or, you know, on the other side, possibly even the jammer. Most of the time the jammers are DBs. But I've, had, I've seen some wide receivers who can be jammers as well. So uh, I'm not exactly sure what role he's going to play. But uh, the speed thing changes the uh, conversation because he can be, you know, a mismatch in some ways on special teams. So when it comes to special teams, what do you make of George Payton's comments that the punter decision, the, the decision to keep Corliss Waitman was strictly about who is the better punter? Why would they ask Sam Martin to take a pay cut if it was really just about who's the better punter? Uh, yeah, I, George Payton is usually, uh, comes across as a pretty, uh, upfront guy. I didn't necessarily buy all of that. You, you think there was something else going on with Sam Martin? I don't, I don't, maybe not something else. Maybe the a lack of trust. If that's the something else you're, you're kind of hinting at, mm. uh, the, you know, uh, I think there was some of that there. Um, lack of trust in Sam Martin. I think so. And when you hurt yourself in pregame with the toe tap as, as a punter and the, you know, the coach says in the production meeting to the broadcast crew, Kickers and rookies, man. Kickers and rookies. You could tell there was a level of frustration there. Maybe a personality issue. Do you think? Do you think Coach? Because Coach Stukes is like a you know chewing glass and nails type of dude, right? Right. He doesn't want a cute kicker who thinks he's cool and is playing cute games on the side, right? Yeah. Do you think that's part of it? I think so. Do, I, do you I, think that spells trouble for Brandon McManus? Oh, well, Brandon. Well, I think it, I know he's under contract. He's a fabulous kicker. Your your production, your production is what makes you worth a headache, right. basically. Yeah. And so for for Sam Martin, yeah, your production is great, but there's also another guy who presents very similar, if not closer, or maybe possibly even better production for less money and a little bit less of a headache possibility. And, I, and I'm not certain about this whole headache thing, but kickers and rookies, man, kickers and rookies. When the head coach says that quote, it's not because he loves kickers and rookies. <laughs> He's not he's not heaping praise on you. No. He's frustrated. Right. Well, um, coming up after the break, we're going to ask Andrew Mason about this stuff, and uh, he'll know what to say. He's got the inside track. Andrew Mason, he's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Well, in passing, in a passing comment in the last segment, I, I talked about my theory that uh, that the NFL rosters are pretty similar um, across the board, and it's coaching that makes the big difference. Uh, that it's thirty-two bowls with the same soup, and that's a little bit of a generality. Um, uh, but um, but I do believe that the parity from roster to roster roster is such that coaching it may, is what makes the difference. We we did just get a texter texting in that Nate Jackson said. All 32 rosters are the same. The difference maker is the coaching staff. Quote, Mike Shanahan was fired for doing a poor job as a GM. He was fired for building a subpar roster. He wasn't fired as a head coach. He was fired because of his work as a GM, specifically a bad roster build. I I just don't agree with that. I was on those teams, and I don't think it was a bad roster. I think it was a good roster. We fell apart at the end of the season. I don't know if you remember 2007, 2008. We actually had good teams, and we were on a roll. We fell apart at the very end of the season. That had nothing to do with the roster. It had to do with some sort of poisonous, noxious gas that seeped into the soul of the team and rotted us from the inside. I don't know how it happened. It was one of those things, Chad, where it was just this tide. You felt it coming over the team. And, um, man, we were 
eight and five. Mm-hmm. Had to win one game out of the last three to make it to the playoffs. And we lost uh-huh. three straight. And after that, it was over. Everyone had to get let go. Yeah. So um, what, are you, what are your thoughts about my idea that, that, that coaching is more important in, in, in the NFL than it is in college because the talent disparity isn't really the same? Yeah, college uh, football is about you know recruiting and the Jimmys and Joes um, and uh, the the talent disparity between a top three team um, and even a top ten team is pretty significantly different. So, yeah, Alabama. I've got Baylor this weekend. They're the tenth ranked team in the country. Alabama is light years ahead of them from a roster perspective, and they're the tenth team in the country. The the the, the gap between one and ten is that big. Uh, versus the NFL where the gap between the first team and the 10th team is not that massive. Like, before last year, would you have said, yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals, they've got a Super Bowl roster? Nope. No, right? They were able to catch lightning in a bottle and get momentum at the right time, which is what we hope the Broncos do this season. Okay, we welcome in our buddy, our pal, our friend, our senior Broncos rider on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline, Andrew Mason. What's going on, man? Hey, not much, fellas. How are you? Good. So what do you make of the conversation we were just having about the importance of coaching in the NFL? Do you think that the talent level from team to team is, is pretty much equal? Or do you think there is a pretty – or do you think there's a noticeable noticeable disparity between the quality of rosters from team to team? I think it's – I'm trying to step back from my own eye because, I, you know, when, when you view something up close for so long – you can see you can see the disparities, but like if you step back and kind of get a thirty-five thousand foot view, I think I'm not. I don't think there's a huge difference between roster one and roster thirty-two. I think, uh, we're, but we're in an age where the quarterback has an outsized impact on that. So I think there's probably more disparity at the quarterback position one to thirty-two than there is on the overall roster on on balance. Uh, and and I think that is why that, and I think that's why you do see the variance in teams and uh, and where they they end up. It, there's an outsized weight to the quarterback position that causes that. All right, Mace. Um, Broncos released a couple of uh, guys uh, maybe who weren't expected to be released, but it was much more of a procedural deal. Can you break down the Eric Tomlinson and attain Moody release? Why and how all that happened? The details behind that. Yeah, with uh, with well, with Eric Tomlinson, uh, he's a vested veteran, so he doesn't go through the waiver process. If you go on waivers, that means that you that any team can claim you within twenty four hour twenty four hour period after you've been waived, and then you have to go to that team, or you don't have to go, but that team has your rights effectively. And so, uh, if you so be if you have more than four years of experience, then you're simply released, and then what happens from there is ultimately up to you. So, for example, so they could go to Eric Tomlinson and Mike Purcell, and both of those guys ha- they are vested veterans. They're beyond that uh, four year that four year time frame, and they can say, "Look, uh, we're going to let you go, but these are the two spots that are going to be created on the roster for you, and we're going to bring you back." right away just don't sign with anybody else and uh assuming they keep their word they, they'll come back whereas if you had if you had made this type of move with a younger player who's not a vested veteran who's not a, who who is say a second year player 
you could say, okay, we're going to waive you, but we're going to bring you, we're going to bring you back in a day and re-sign you. You can that's well and good, but a team that has a, a waiver claim, uh, it could be any team could say, oh, well, we want you, and so like the so you could cut somebody, and the Lions could claim you, and then that player is gone, and you can't get him back. So that's that's why they chose Purcell and Tomlinson to be the guys who got waived. Now, one thing or get got released. Now, one thing I am fascinated about, fellas, is I want to see kind of what the terms on Mike Purcell's contract are uh, when he re-signs. Are they going to be the same terms that he was at before? Because he was carrying a cap number of a little uh, over $4 million. So I'm curious to see what that ends up looking like. Andrew, there's quite a long runway between Saturday's preseason game and the Broncos' opening game uh, Monday night. They actually have to wait longer than any other team. And so um, it creates a lot of opportunity for, I don't know, roster positions to change. We heard Mike Kliss insinuate that maybe the backup quarterback isn't even on the roster now. Can we expect any more roster moves that, uh, that are coming down the pike? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they make a, wa- if they make a claim off waivers today. And I think uh, a position maybe to keep your eye on, uh, it, Mike Kliss mentions backup uh, QB. I'd keep an eye on a cornerback uh, to, if they want to maybe bring in uh, another another veteran to that room because right now after the top three guys I think there's a pretty big drop off so I think they're going to be looking uh, I think they're going to be looking at corner they might be looking at inside uh, linebacker as well to fortify that but more likely I think uh, I think corner you got is, any names where out, they'd you, be got, talking. you got any names out there for us no I don't and I, and the thing about the I mean there are literally hundreds of names out there someone asked me can you make a guess I can't make a guess and they're, and they're playing the, and they're going to play this one very close to the best so I don't have any names. All right, Mace, uh, now at the outside of a couple of waiver claims, the roster is most likely set. Uh, what is your, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, best position group on this team and the worst position group on this team? Ooh, Ooh okay. Best position group on this team, it's, for me, it, it, it's, it's running back because you literally have a number two running back who, could be RB one for half the teams in the league in Melvin Gordon. I may be, and my, I may even be underestimating that based on what he's done over the over the last few years, and especially the last two years. So I mean, to me, that that's the that, that's the spot. Even Mike Boone is a really good number three back who is everything you could possibly want from a third team back. Right down to the fact that he's a special teams ace. So running backs, running backs, the best spot. The, the position group, the, the, I'd, I'd have to say the position group right now that is the least is probably, uh, it's probably tight end. And you've got some intriguing guys, but you're going to put Greg Dolcich on IR. I have a piece on denverfan.com taking a look not only at what he's got to do in terms of, of development, but also how third round tight ends do in, the, in their rookie seasons, which is to say over the, since 2000, Rookie tight end, third round rookie tight ends do not bring much anyway. And now Dulcich has a hamstring injury on top of that. And then you look around the rest of that room. Al- Albert Oakwapenom is a good pass catcher who struggles to block. And uh, Eric Tomlinson, you bring him back. He's a blocker who's probably not going to offer too much in the passing game. Eric Salbert's very fairly complete, but he's like a solid number two, number three. That's it. Uh, it to me, the tight end room is probably the least on the roster right now, and the running back is the most. So, Andrew, what about the, the historical precedent of some tight ends who can't block being productive passers for their teams? Can't Alberto be that guy? He can, but they have to use him in that way. And the, and the, the thing, 
about this particular scheme is uh, it, it, it does demand a blocking responsibility from the tight ends. Now, you could simply say, all right, well, Alberto, we're going we're gonna to line you up in space, and that's it. And if that's the case, I think he'd be productive. But I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen incredibly often in, in this scheme. They want, they want a tight end who has uh, some balance in terms of what they can do. That was a reason why they drafted Greg Dolcich, even though Dolcich has to develop as a blocker, and he's probably got to add a little bit of bulk as well uh, to be a functional blocker at this level, is that they saw him as somebody who could develop into that all-around tight end, who could go in line, go in space, and wouldn't tip your hand when he was in the huddle as to what your uh, intent was on the play. So that's 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 the thing. I mean, I think there are some there are some schemes where Alberto could simply, you know, could simply could, could simply line up as that as that move tight end and that that's and they would ask him just to run routes and that would be pretty much it, but this particular scheme it's it's not going to do that and it's going to work against them. Andrew, how many articles are you writing for denverfan.com? One a day or more than that? What's it what's it breaking down to? I mean, it depends. I mean, it, during during training camp, I was writing one big. Uh, I was mostly writing one big kind of summary of of, of the day's events a day. Uh, yesterday, I wrote three shorter ones. Um, I mean, it just kind of just basically it depends day to day what's what's in front of me, what I've got. I mean, do you dream? Know, so do, do you dream about the Broncos, Andrew? Do you wake up with um, just Broncos stats and numbers just? dripping from your brain and you just got to put it down. Are you so immersed in this that you're just kind of seeing it when you close your eyes? I've had dreams like that. Yes. <laughs> Were you playing? Not Were you really coaching? Think- Were you on this? Like, what was the dream? Can you describe it? Um, gosh. I mean, the last time I had that kind of dream, I was actually sitting in a press box. It was one of those dreams <laughs> where it was like, it was, hi- it felt hyper real. And there was enough in the dream that seemed normal. To, to where it was real, but for some reason, uh, the stadium I was in was in Portland, Oregon, which doesn't have an NFL team. Not so. yet, not yet. See, that might have been a, a, oh, force, a, a prescient oh. dream, as they say. Ah, there we go. All right, well, thanks Good for joining that. us, Andrew. Good stuff, as always. Right. Thanks, pleasure, fellas. Have a great day. That was Andrew Mason, senior Broncos writer on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. When we come back, distractions. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.